Right, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to the book of Ephesians. And if you do not have a Bible and you'd rather follow along in the Bible instead of looking at the screen behind me, uh, there's Bibles in the seat backs that you can borrow. And uh, we are in Ephesians chapter 5. And today we are starting in verse 25 and going through verse 33. And uh, we're picking up on our discussion from last week. Last week we spoke about the responsibility of the wife in the marriage. And I have to say I, I, I've never had a, a group of people so excited to come back and hear this message today. Uh, the wives were really excited about today and, and coming back and hearing this message and, uh, you know, I, I hope that's number one, that's that's great to, uh, you know, to hear and to and to see. Uh, and number two, uh, you know, I, I hope that I really hope that what I have prepared today is a blessing for everyone in here. Um, you know, it's a great responsibility to be a husband and, you know, and, and to be a father as well. But since we're focusing on uh, the ministry of the husband, it's a great responsibility to be a husband. It's a great privilege as well. And I know it's not something that I can do on my own. I need, number one, I need the Lord, which we will talk about. But I, I need more. I need the Lord, but the Lord has given us his body to help us to be able to be the father we are called to be. So this involves the whole church, uh, even if you are not a father, uh, even if you cannot be a father because you're a mother or you're a daughter or, you know, whatever the case is. Um, I want us to hear this passage and this sermon as, as a church and to see how we can help one another. But let's look at the passage, Ephesians 5, uh, starting in verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. All right, so in this passage, uh, it is focused on, uh, Paul focuses on the, the role of the husband in the marriage. But not only that, I want us in this introduction to see the other uh, people uh, that are mentioned by Paul here, uh, because they are important as well. We have to start just like we did last week with Christ. Uh, Christ is the most important uh, person mentioned in this passage, uh, because number one, Christ is the basis by which the husband should love his wife. And um, if we back up to verse 21, that's where we start when we start talking about the ministry of the wife, the husband and the children within the family. Right. Verse 21 says that we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul, right away in this passage, even if he's just focusing on the husband, and he's not just focusing on the husband, we'll talk about that here in a minute, but he, within the household of God, he's focusing on the husband. He brings in Christ, and he says, this is the reason why you should love your wife. This is the reason, and this is the reason um, not alone, but this is the foremost reason. Obviously, your wife has qualities that you love about her, but sometimes she's not very likable. Amen? Just like the men aren't very likable sometimes. I know my wife loves me all the time, but sometimes she doesn't like me because of the way I'm acting, and I deserve it. I think it's vice versa. It goes the same way uh, for the woman and the man. So, Christ is the basis by which the husband should love his wife. Um, this love that we have from our, for our wives, it should not and should never be from selfish ambition, but it should be out of worship to the Lord. That's what verse 21 is telling us, men. 
We should not love our wives out of selfish ambition, but out of worship to the Lord. Now, I know how it works with husbands and, and how you love your wife, um, you know, and, same, and vice versa. But right now we're focusing on the husband. Uh, sometimes we love our wives to get something out of it. Whatever, whatever it would be, we're doing it because of that reason. And Paul says, no, you should submit to her. You should love her out of reverence for Christ. See, any other motive in loving your wife that is placed in front, of, in front of reverence for the Lord misses the mark that God has set. And we know that when we miss the mark that God has set, then we sin against the Lord. So first and foremost, our ministry to our wives is out of worship to God. Christ, not only is he the basis by which the husband should love his wife, but Christ is also the example for the husband in loving his wife. We see that in verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So right away, Christ is the basis and the example for us. Second of all, Paul talks about the church. He says that the church is the example for the wife to follow in marriage. Right? She is, she is supposed to submit to him as the church does to the Lord. Look at verses 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. The church is also the receiver of the Savior's love. That's what's wonderful about this passage. It's how Paul not only describes the, the ministries of both the husband and the wife, but in doing so, he talks about the church and how the church receives the Savior's love, the Savior's grace, and also sanctification through the Savior. Look at verse 27. That he might sanctify her, speaking of the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's a wonderful passage because when we look at what Christ has done for the church, he has done this for us because he has died on the cross for our sins. So we are washed through the blood of Christ. But not only that, this speaks about the future condition of the church where we will be glorified. We will be without spot, without blemish. What God is doing in us today, he will bring to completion. And that is a wonderful thing. Then he talks about, oh, then finally the church is also the example of being the recipient of the godly love of the husband. He's, the church is the example of the wife. Just as the wife is to respect her husband as, as the church uh, submits to Christ, she is also the example of the love that Christ gives to the church so that the husband gives to her. That's what, that's what the church stands for here in this passage. Thirdly, the husband. The husband is the head of the household. How do we know that? Well, I read to you verses 22 to 24, and it's very clear in that passage as Paul's addressing uh, the wives, he says that the wife's responsibility in the marriage is to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. So scripture tells us that the head of the household is the husband per the calling of the wife. And also here, the passage tells us that the husband is the one called to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And then we have the wife. The wife is the husband's helpmate and also the receiver of his love. That's a wonderful blessing. To be the receiver of the husband's love as the husband is seeking Christ in himself. See, it's important that we know that this passage is not only about the, the way a godly family should function. Because it, it is one of the classic passages about that. Anytime that, that, that I see any family issues, I, I, I bring them to not only Genesis chapters 2 and 3, but also I bring them to Ephesians chapter 5. Because it is a classic text that teaches us how the household of God should function. And most of the time, or I should say all of the time, when there are issues within the marriage, when there are issues within the family, it's because 
the family's not functioning as God has required it, as God has called it to. And more than likely, it's not just one person's fault. It, in fact, all the years that I've been doing marriage counseling, I've never had it to where it's just the husband's fault or just the wife's fault. Poppy, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work out that way. Why? Because there are two sinful people in the relationship. So it's important that we know that this passage is not only about that. It is also about the way in which the Lord cares for his church. That's, that's a major part of it. It's brilliant to me because Paul, he, he's using this illustration of, of, of the church and Christ. And he's teaching us two things. Number one, this, this care that we, this, first of all, Christ as our savior and the care he has for the church and how we should submit to Christ. And when I read this passage, I don't know about you, but it really reassures my heart that no matter what I go through, I have a Savior who cherishes me and loves me despite of me. That is wonderful to read. And that's what Paul teaches us here. But then he also uses the same passage to teach us how we should function as a family. So it's, it's brilliant to me. But we must understand that this passage is also about how the Lord cares for his church and the worship he expects to receive from his church. The union of Christ and the church is the ultimate example of the union between the husband and the wife. See, it's from this example that I preach to you the responsibility of the husband to the wife in the household of God. So let's talk about the husband's um, calling, so to speak. As I told you before, last week, many people look at the role of the wife and they say, well, she's called to submit. Right. And we all if, if, if we think outside of God's word, then that word alone means something different to everybody. But God tells us that. Wives are to respect their husbands. That is their ministry of submission. That means a whole lot of different things. But ultimately, they are called to respect their husbands. Well, the husband also submits to the wife. Verse 21 points it out. It's not just the wife submitting to the husband, but we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So if the husband is also submitting, what is he submitting in or what type of submission is he called to? Well, he is called to the submission of love towards his wife. That's what he's called to. And there are two ways in this passage that Paul says that a husband should love his wife. Number one, the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And we see that in verse 25. Now, I will say this. And this has to be clear to everybody in here. The greater call of submission belongs to the husband. It belongs to the husband. See, a lot of times what, what happens in the husband's heart is that he doesn't want to love his wife because he feels like his wife is not submitting to him. But all along, there is an issue that he's not submitting to his wife. It's, it's only seen, submission is only seen one way a lot of times in a marriage. It's like, I would do this for her, but she's not submitting to me. What he means is, I would do this to her, but she's not listening to what I say. She's not doing what I tell her to do. I have to be honest here and say, your wife, her calling is not to do everything you tell her to do. Her calling is to respect you. But you have to remember, husbands, that many times the Lord is using your wife as a voice box. He's using your wife as a tool for your sanctification. He's using your wife for your good. And imagine if we were just married to our wives and they did everything we just told them to do. I, I would be in a whole lot of trouble. My life would look a lot different than it does today. 
You see, but a lot of times that's what happens. And we need to understand as men and as husbands that the greater call submission belongs to us because we see clearly that the church is the wife's example to follow in a marriage, but the husband's example is Christ. I don't know about that. When I read that passage, though, guys, it's like, wow. Yeah, the church must submit, or excuse me, wives must submit to their husbands as the church submits to the Lord. But then he turns around and says, men, you need to follow Christ. See, in order to do that, we must understand that the love that Christ has for his church it's many things. Number one, it's perfect, but we must recognize that his love for his church is sacrificial. That's one thing that we have to carry into our relationship as husbands if we are going to be like Christ. Listen to this out of Philippians chapter 2. It says, speaking of Christ, it says that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And the Apostle Paul says, even death on a cross. That's the example we have been called to follow. By emptying himself, the passage means that he left his heavenly throne, that he entered into his creation By taking on flesh. And the reason he did all of this was to die on the cross for the sins of his people. You and I are his people. Christ did that for us. Do you see the submission of love that he placed himself under to save us? That's the example that we are being told to follow. Also, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see the sacrifice again? Christ died in our place so that we would know the righteousness of God. There's no greater example of sacrifice than Christ. But we must understand why Christ did this. Christ did what he did for the glory of the Father and for the good of his church. That's why he did it, for the glory of the Father and the good of his church. Husbands, if we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, then we must have the same attitude of Christ. We must have the same attitude of Christ in expressing our love towards our wives. That means our love for them must be for the glory of God and for the good of our wives. That's, what, that's the love that we are called to express. We are to be, we are to live a life of Sacrificial love for our wives. See, as a husband, love for his wife, or basically, excuse me, as a husband, you should love your wife to a point that it hurts. I know some of what some of you are thinking. You're like, it already hurts, brother. It already hurts. Believe me. It's been hurting for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. It should hurt for godly reasons, it should hurt because you're emptying yourself for your wife. It should hurt because it is a sacrificial love that you are expressing to her. So listen, as a husband, if you are just getting gains, if you are just getting things, you're missing your calling to love your wife sacrificially. Because a lot of us have this picture in our heads about a husband and he's the king of the house. And we think as a king of the house, everybody serves the king. 
in the, from a worldly perspective, that makes complete sense. But if we are going to follow Christ, that makes no sense at all. Because Christ is the greatest servant, and he has called us to be the same. So this, this title of king, of leader, whatever it is that you want to call yourself in your household, all it's pointing to is your responsibility as a husband to lead your wife in a sacrificial love. Or with a sacrificial love. See, from a biblical perspective, husbands are not only called to be protectors and providers, which I know that's what we take pride in and we look towards and, and that's what we like to do, but you are also called to be Christ-like in your marriage. So that's why, as a Christian, it's not good enough for you as a husband just to protect your wife and provide for her. The example is far beyond that we need to be Christ-like. Paul points out that Christ not only loved the church, but that he gave himself up for her. It says that in verse 25. You see, it's one thing for us to say, I love you, babe. I love you, honey. It's another thing for us to show it in our everyday actions. To submit to her in love. It is tough to do. But that's what we have been called to do. Paul also makes an earlier reference of this in verse 2 of this same chapter. He says, as Christians, we need to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. It's no accident that Paul continues this theme of us giving ourselves up for another person. But here, specifically, the husbands must give themselves up for their wives. So as a husband, you have been designated by God, or you have been called as a leader of your wife. Now, now that you have been called as a leader of your wife, you must follow your Lord's example in laying down your life for the glory of God and the good of your wife. That's... That's what Paul is saying here, and that's what's important for us to do as husbands. But there's another thing. There's another way, and there's another example that, that Paul gives how the husband should love his wife. And it's found in verse 28. See, the, the husband is called to love his wife as he loves his own body. Number one, as Christ loves the church. Number two, as he loves his own body. See, to love his wife as his own body speaks to the permanency of the husband's love for his wife. Like a person's union with his own body, when we look at our union with our body, it's number one, intimate. No one knows our body like we do. But not only that, it's permanent. So if we are going to love our wives as we love our own body, we must establish an intimate and permanent relationship with them. This is the union that, that, that the Bible is speaking about here. In verse 31, Paul quotes Genesis 2.24. And this is a beautiful picture of when God performed the first marriage of creation. God reveals that, that the man should leave his father and mother. To, he should leave his parents to join himself to a wife. And that's what Paul speaks of here in verse 31. Now, the joining of the husband and wife and the picture that paints is so beautiful because Paul is saying that once you leave your father and mother and you join to your wife, that you are no longer two individual people, but you are one flesh. So the joining of the husband and wife should be so intimate that they are like one flesh. This is pointing out the blessings of the sexual relationship in the marriage, but even more, it is pointing to the intimate fellowship that is possible within the marriage. The intimate fellowship that God requires within 
a marriage. See, it is tempting to put other relationships before your wife. It's very tempting. And we have to be careful about that. We have people in our lives that we dearly care about. We are tempted all the time to put them in the place of where our wife should be. We have people like our mother. In many families, the, the, the husband is, is torn between serving and loving his mother and serving and loving his wife. I, I can easily fix that with scripture. We can go back to Genesis 3 and we can clearly say, yeah, God intended for a man to leave his father and mother and join to himself a wife. We have daughters a lot of times who get in the way, not, on their, not because they have done so, but because of the sin of the husband. The husband sees the daughter as equal to or even more valuable than his wife. Places her where, the, where his devotion to his wife should only be. We have friendships. Right? Growing up as men, we grow up, with other, we grow up with other boys, other men, and we make this promise to one another. There is no girl that's ever going to come between us. Like we got this bond for life. There are many men who are placing and putting their friends where their wife should be. Now listen, there is a place for these relationships in your life. No doubt. There is a respect that you need to have for your mother. And if your mother is still with you, appreciate that. Not everybody has that blessing. But she's not your wife. Your daughter, if you have a daughter here, I know you love your daughter, but she's not your wife. Friends, family, same thing. They are not your wife. So there is a place for these relationships in your life, but not in your wife's place. That is reserved for her and her alone. Just like you would not expect a king to let just anybody sit next to him where his queen should be, that spot in your life and in your heart and in your devotion is reserved for your wife. You see, we have to understand this because when we look at the family relationship, the husband and wife relationship is the most important part of that family. The husband and wife, once they, once they come together in union with Christ, once they make a commitment before him, that starts a lifelong journey of getting to know one another, building their relationship, being sanctified by everything they go through in life, trusting one another, growing together, growing closer, and experiencing that wonderful, beautiful, intimate relationship and fellowship that God requires. It's a lifelong process. And if we don't focus on that, then what happens to the family structure is that everything just comes crumbling down. See, when mom and dad, when they are working on what they need to be working on from a biblical perspective, the whole family stands on a wonderful and solid foundation. When the relationship of mom and dad dissolve, the whole family false so the relationship that you have with your wife is the most important relationship that you have within your family see as a husband you should reach a point in your marriage when your relationship with your wife is closer in every way than any other earthly relationship that you have closer it has to be. Now, I'm not saying this is going to happen overnight because it, it I mean, it, it would be nice that once 
once you put a, a, a ring on her finger, all of a sudden you know what she's thinking. Man, that would be a blessing. Not going to happen. We have to live with our wives in an understanding way. We have to grow to know her. But there should be a point in your marriage, in your life, that she knows you like no one else does here on this earth. If that's not the case and you've been married for 15, 20 years, you as a husband are missing your mark. We have to know our wives. We have to have this intimacy with her if we are going to fulfill our calling as husbands. See, to love his wife as his own body also speaks to the protection and the provision that a husband is called to supply to his wife as well. As I told you before, we, we focus on the provision and protection part because as men, I think that's innate in us. I'm going to feed my family. I'm going to give them shelter. If anybody comes, I'm going to protect them. That's great. That's wonderful. But there is more that God requires when we talk about protection and provisions. See, just like it is natural and instinctive to protect and provide for oneself, a husband must care for his wife. Now listen to this, though. The protection and provision that you are called to supply to your wife goes beyond the physical realm. It goes beyond that. We tend to think if, if my wife is ever threatened, if somebody is physically going to harm her or somebody's coming after her, I'm going to be her protector. And you should be. You should be her protector in that, uh, in that example. But from a spiritual perspective, we also supply them the word and we protect them from the enemy. That's something that we have to think about as husbands. Protecting, providing, it goes beyond what she needs physically. It goes into the spiritual realm where we are supplying them the word of God when they need it, when they need the encouragement, when they need the correction, when they need the leadership. But we are also protecting her from the attacks of the enemy. Not only the attacks of somebody who could hurt her physically, but the enemy who attacks her daily. See, sometimes, and I find this in myself, and please, when I, when I speak about your shortcomings, I'm including myself in it because I fail at these things all the time. But what I find myself, or what I see in myself a lot of times, is that I am willing to protect her physically, but I am one of the ones attacking her spiritually. Happens all the time. And I sit there and I boast about no one's going to touch my wife. If someone were to break into this house, I'll handle them. But from a spiritual perspective, I'm one of the ones coming after her. Or I'm not doing my job as a husband to protect her from the enemy. I tell you what, it's a good thing she has Christ. But that does not absolve me of my responsibility of protecting her. And it does not absolve you of your responsibility to protect your wife. If we only focus on the physical realm of protecting and providing for our wives, then we fail the divine calling of loving her like Christ loved the church. Imagine that. Imagine if Christ only fed us and sheltered us. That that was the worth of the cross, that we are taken care of here in our stomach and that we have clothes on our back and we have shelter over our heads. That would only help us here and now. But Christ, he protects and provides for the church and more than just that. He does it from a physical realm, in the physical realm and he also does it in the spiritual realm. In fact, the hope that we have, we focus more on the spiritual realm because sometimes in the physical realm we go without It's for the glory of God and for our good, but we go without and we always have hope that no matter what we don't have in the physical realm, God has supplied it for us in the spiritual realm. Men, we need to not only focus on 
the physical realm, the house that you have for your wife, the clothes that you put on her back, the car that she drives. That is your calling. It is important, but it's not more important than the spiritual realm. Are you feeding your wife the word of God? Are you ensuring that she is fed on a regular basis? Are you ensuring that, you, that her and your family are part of a church and you are committed to the church so that your family can learn and grow into the image of Christ? Or do you have that on autopilot? See, if we are going to provide and protect our wives, that means we must be an active participant in the sanctification process of our wives. And Paul says, not only are you an active, particip- uh, act, you're an active participant in the, in the sanctification of your wife, but he tells us to do it in a specific way that we should be an active participant in the sanctification process of our wives through the ministry of the word. Through the ministry of the word. See, through our ministry of love to our wives, we are to exemplify the abundance of grace of God for his people. We know that God gives us grace upon grace. As men, we know that, and we appreciate that every single day. You see, but God requires of us to follow Christ and to give our wives grace upon grace. That's important for us to recognize and to know. Now, those are the two ways in which Paul says that a man should love his wife. But let's talk about loving our wives as Christ loved the church day in and day out. Because to me, that's when, you, when we look at this and we try to understand the whole um, the severity of the calling God has given us, it, it, it's almost, or it is, overwhelming for us as men. So how do we do this? Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 18.22, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Amen? So God created woman for man because we know there was, or the word says, there was no suitable helper for him. It's very clear to say that. In fact, let's go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 2 real quick. I want you to see that as well. Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to read starting in verse 18. It says, that, Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. Here it is right here. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Then verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. See, when Adam was tasked with this job to name all the animals, it wasn't just to name them, but it was to find a suitable helper within them. And 
we know that God's purpose in this was for Adam to see the blessing of his wife. Because it wasn't as if God brought Adam in front of all these animals and, 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 and he doesn't know that Adam's not going to find a suitable helper. God knows that. But guess who he wants to know that as well? He wants Adam to know that. That out of all creation, there was nobody suitable to be his helpmate. And then that's when God put Adam to sleep, made Eve, and when he looked upon Eve, the only thing that he could utter was bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. See, at the side of his wife, Adam understood that God had created something good for him. And the only way that Adam was able to know that was because he realized that there was no suitable helper for him before Eve got there. So I go back to the passage, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. It's sad today in our country and pretty much the world, it's sad the way people view marriage. Really, really sad. It's like, it's like something that you don't want to do, but you have to do. That's the way the world seems that they view marriage. Something you don't want to do, but you have to do. Because that's what society does. There are so many who have gone against that and said, I'm just not going to do it. But there are a lot of men who have this, this, this mindset about a wife that it's a horrible thing. It's the ball and chain. She's only going to be there to drag me down. Your, your life is over as you know it. Men reluctantly, a lot of times, get married. But that's not the way God has called us. When God has gave you your wife, her flaws and all, she gave you, he gave you a good thing. Because the best of her and the worst of her is for your sanctification. It's wonderful to see when Adam see, looks at Eve and he, 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 has, he just says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He sees the value of what God did. But notice, right after that, in Genesis chapter 3, the wife leads Adam into sin, and things will never be the same after that. Then after that, there is this curse that we're dealing with. Look at verse 16. God says to the woman, I shall multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. We go from this perfect relationship, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's so romantic. He sees Eve and she's this helpmate and his life is completely full and life is perfect and wonderful. And then the very next chapter, sin comes into the world. And then instead of seeing her for the helpmate that she is, they start butting heads. Start having arguments. Start not liking each other a lot. almost a picture of us when we get married when you're dating it's like oh she's wonderful she's perfect she's this she's that she completes me get married start living together and you have a whole different view of her see sin is real and it has real consequences in the marriage you have to understand that as you lead your wife, many times she will not want to be led. As you love your wife, many times she will not want to be loved by you. Not the way that you are called to love her. As you practice this ministry of submission to your wife day in, day out, 
you are going to have trouble. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be perfect. And I don't have to tell you this because if you're married, you already know. If you're not married, listen to me. It's hard. But. But. The wife that the Lord gives you is a good thing, even in a fallen world. Even in a fallen world, she is a gift from the Lord out of anyone who could have ever existed. He gave you her. It was no accident. I don't care how you came together. If you are in the Lord. He has given her to you. Guess what I'm trying to tell you, husbands, is this. Cherish what the Lord has given you. Because he has given her to you for his glory and for your good. Now, let's finish with this. This divine calling that the husbands have to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Let's just get it out right now. It's impossible. It's impossible. On this side of heaven, it's impossible. And I will tell you this. We talked about the ministry of the woman and how she should submit to her husband as, as unto the Lord. And that this this uh, submission is to be one of respect. And we talked about all that last week. We can plainly see who has the greater calling when it comes to the eyes of the Lord. Between the wife and the husband. So husbands, when you take on that responsibility of being the leader of your house. Don't take it on thinking that you're going to receive everything. No, what the passage is saying is that you're going to empty yourself for your wife and for your family. That's God's expectation. But we know that this divine calling that husbands have to love their wives as Christ loved the church, it is impossible for us to do alone under our own power. Why? Because it is beyond us. You see, it is beyond you, but it should be beyond you. Why? Because Christ is your example. That's why it's beyond you. Like if you are thinking in your head that you're going to be the perfect husband for your wife, that's never going to happen. It's never going to happen because number one, it's not going to happen in the fallen world. And number two, the relationships that we have on this earth, they don't transfer over to heaven. So even when we're perfect, we're not going to be her perfect husband. We're going to be, when God glorifies us, we're going to be her perfect brother in Christ. But we're never going to experience what it is to be her perfect husband. It is beyond us because Christ is the example that we are following. But in the same way, when God commands all believers to be holy as he is holy, we must recognize that God, that God is calling us to be Christ-like in our marriage. You know, when we see that verse, God says, be holy for I am holy. We look at that verse and we're like, I can't. I know this is what God's commanded me to do, but I can't. But still, that does not take away the requirement of God for us to be holy. In the same way... God is calling us to be Christ-like in our marriage. We know we can't do that, but that does not take away the responsibility of us following after Christ and being Christ-like in our marriage. Ladies, what we need for you to understand and what we need for you to give to us is grace. We need all the grace. Just like we are to give you grace upon grace, Please give us grace upon grace as we try to fulfill our calling as a godly husband. Please don't use our sin against us. 
Just like your sin has been washed away by the blood of Christ, our sin has been washed away by the blood of Christ. Don't use our shortcomings against us. Believe me, we know we fail the Lord every single day. But ladies, what we need your help with, we need you pointing us to the Lord. That's what we need you to do. You can tell your husband what you want, but ultimately, please point your husband to the Lord. When he's failing, point him to the Lord. When he's succeeding, point him to the Lord. And everything he does, point him to the Lord. God stands as our standard of love towards our wives. Guys, we, you know what that does for us? That takes all excuses away. There, we have no excuse when we do not love our wife as Christ loved the church. Even if we say, well, we're, we're, we're not perfect, we're, we fall short, that's, that's not an excuse. That's a fact, but you can't use that as an excuse. You can't say, well, I'll never fulfill that, so then I'm just going to stop right here. Every day, every day, we need to pray to the Lord. And we need to depend on his strength to be conforming to the image of his son. Not only in our relationships outside of our marriage, but mainly in our marriage. The command to love your wife as Christ loved the church, if it does anything, it should cause this, it should keep you on your knees praying to the Lord. If you're a husband and you come to me and you say, man, I'm having trouble in my prayer life. That kind of tells me where you're at as a husband. Because I tell you what. Me fulfilling the, the, the calling that Christ has on my life to be the husband I need to be to my wife. That has me on my knees every single day. Because I understand that I cannot do it alone. You cannot do it alone. As husbands, we must rely on his strength and his grace to conform us into the image of his son. And listen, when we fail, we must learn. We must repent. And we must love her again and again. Let us pray.